Yeah, let's pray. Jason,我们感谢你赐给我们平安的度过夜晚 uh, thank you. Let us start. Uh, as usual, we shall read through the passage first. Oh, yes, recording. Okay, we shall read through the passage, uh, John chapter 5, verses 1 to 17. And today we're going to zoom in and look into verses 5 and 6. We shall see how uh, the description of this man, first of all, this paralyzed, uh, sorry, this lame man, and also how Jesus... Um, came across, in a sense, uh, to this man. So we shall read through uh, John chapter 5, verses 1 to 17 together first to get a, a rough idea of the context of, the, of John chapter 5. Alright, John chapter 5, verses 1 to 17. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. This, in this lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who has been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I am going another step down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. And it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is this man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, and there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. So we shall read through verses 5 and 6 again, and then we shall zoom in to look at the description of this man and uh, how Jesus came across this man. Uh, so John chapter 5, verses 5 and 6. One man who was there who had been an invalid for 38 years, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? So as we start off uh, with verse 5, we see that this uh, there's this man, there's this very grievous sight, in fact, of this man 
who had been invalid for 38 years. Well, it can be assumed that the so-called what is his illness, uh, so-called his invalidness is not blindness because um, it's not described that he's unable to see. But in verse uh, verse 7, it's described that he was unable to pull himself into the pool. So we can assume that this invalid uh, that is referred to in verse 5 is actually talking about him being lame or him, uh, in other terms, he's unable to walk. He's most, he most likely have a limp in one of his limbs or even that half of his body is paralyzed. So we do not know that. But nonetheless, we can assume that this man is in, unable to walk, unable to bring himself into the pool at least. It's a sad sight to see in, indeed. Well, when we imagine it, when we think of it as our body as the instrument of our souls, when we think of our body as the so-called the carrier of our souls, it's very sad because it doesn't it lost its purpose. The body itself has lost its purpose of being the instrument. Instead of being an instrument to the soul, it has become a burden to the soul. What the soul wants to do is incapable of doing anymore. Let's say you can we can put this into our context today. If one person wants to be a mechanic, wants to you know wants to be a mechanic, wants to be an engineer, and he lost the use of a certain limb or his hand, can he still be a mechanic? Can he still fulfill the dream? that he wants to do. So this is something for us to reflect on ourselves with our own body. You know, often of times we oversee our body as a ordinance or as a providence of God. You know, the simple fact that we have, we have a healthy body is a providence of God. And we don't really give thanks for it. Often of times we forget to give thanks for this healthy body that we have. And having this strength, what do we use it for? We don't think of it as serve. We don't think of using this healthy body to serve God often. I think this is true even for the world today. Many people out there have a healthy body. Um, healthy in a very general sense. That means they don't, they don't have major illness. They don't have major sickness. But what do they use their body for? Most definitely not to serve God. Because many of them don't even, they, they deny God in that sense. And even if you look at the youth culture today, what do they use their body for? Clubbing, going out there to enjoy their own sinfulness, enjoying and destroying their body ultimately. So for our, ourselves, what are we using it for? So that's the first thing that we notice. This man being invalid. And it's described how long he has been invalid. 38 years. Well, you know, 38 years seems like a rather interesting number. But think about it. 38 years is longer than most of us have been alive for. He has been lame or he has been invalid for a whole 38 years. 38 dreadful years this guy has been lame. It's quite insane to think about it. 38 years this man has been invalid and I, I would assume that he has been sitting there in that pool for almost 38 years. Think about it. Once you have this illness and you hear of this so-called magical pool that's able to heal you, the first thing that you do is you travel there. 
no matter by what ways you will try to make yourself travel there. I think even for a lame person to travel from his, we are not sure where his hometown is, but for him to travel from his hometown to uh, this pool uh, called Podesta, it wouldn't take more than a year or two. So you have been there for a very long time. Many of the people around us have lived, who have lived and walked on this earth had been disabled for long, for so long of their lives. And sometimes we question why is it so? And then because of this, because of this very fact that there is this suffering of men in their own life physically, thoughts, different thoughts, schools of ideas arise. And some of them, and because of that, some people will blame their past life. I think in the Chinese culture, when um, when the Chinese, major Chinese religion is folk religion that somehow believes in reincarnation, the whole idea of karma comes into place. And when, you know, if a Chinese, a Chinese folk religion reader come across this passage, he might very well just blame this man on his past life. He wouldn't really be forgiving to this guy. He wouldn't be merciful towards this guy. He would say that you have done something wrong for you to deserve this. And even in the Western society, even for us as Christians, when we come across this passage, some of us might come, might think about how this man became invalid. Did he do something stupid to cause himself to be invalid for 38 years? Did he got into an accident because of the stupidity of others who caused him to do this? Or do we imagine it to be above the fact, you know, that he was born this way? So, a lot of questions will arise out from us. Why, why did this thing happen to this man? Was it a punishment that he deserved? I think this is what we will often think about as a punishment. But I want us to look at it from another perspective today here. Can we not see this as a punishment or some or a suffering that this man is going through? But we see this as a discipline for this guy, uh, for this guy. A discipline in a good sense. Of course, many of us, you know, we experience a bad day. You know, many of us we often uh, experience a bad day in our healthy life. But for this man, it's rare to, for him to experience a good day of good health, you know. So, it's quite insane that this man is going through, it's, it's quite so-called obvious that this man is going through something that we all do not desire to go through. But I think Richard Baxter himself, when he was commenting on this verse specifically, he put it quite nicely. He says this, How great a mercy was it to live 38 years uh, how great it is it was to live 38 years under God's wholesome discipline oh my God say of him I thank thee for the like discipline of 58 years how safe is this in comparison of full prosperity and pleasure if you guys know uh, Mr. Richard Baxter himself he himself have been struggling with illness throughout his life. He might not be lame, but he, 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 does, he did suffer for a very long period of his life. But yet, he sees this suffering as a form of discipline, a form of training. And he finds this much 
better than full prosperity and pleasure in life. And this is something for us to think a bit of more about. How, why and how does he see this as a discipline? Well, first of all, I think it is not a, it's not an uncommon idea of, and it's not hard for us to understand that when someone is going through hardship, when someone is going through pain and so-called suffering, it's a lot more people are a lot more inclined to draw closer to God. In fact, it's harder for a man to draw close to God when he's in um, when he's in prosperity, when he's enjoying his own life, because often of times when he enjoys his life, he forgets about God. And so in this case, if we look at it from that perspective, we can see why um, Dr. Richard Baxter himself would say that this is a healthy it's a healthy means of learning. It's a healthy thing to have in the form of a discipline in his own suffering. And so it brings us to ourselves, you know, as modern day readers, when we look at this, two questions two question comes about, do we see physical suffering of illness, of many illness right now, as a form of discipline? If one day, we so-called sui sui. We lose a limb, or we lose a cap- uh, we lose a capacity of doing certain things because of an injury or whatnot. Do we see this as a discipline? If someday we have a lifelong, we have a terminal illness that cannot be cannot that causes a lot of suffering, do we see this as a form of discipline? Even let's say someday we ourselves somehow get cancer. I think the by percentage, by probability, we have all have a very high chance of getting cancer. Do we see cancer, getting cancer itself as a form of discipline from God? Or do we just see it as purely a suffering? And so if we see it as a discipline from God, do we rely on God for strength to overcome the obstacles that we may face throughout this time of discipline? And last, and the next point that that will bring me to the next point: Do we see discipline as a good thing? As modern days reader, and also as you, we don't like discipline. This is just the way this generation have worked. We hate discipline. But I think as Christian, we need to see discipline as something good and something beautiful, because this is ultimately how we are formed. How we are going to be formed into the likeness of Christ. And it is through this discipline that we are formed to be a better Christian. So do we see that as Christians today? Do we see discipline as something beautiful or do we hate discipline to the core of our, ourselves? So I think I'll yeah, end us off on the first five of that. So I think something for us, it's good for us to go back and think about this whole idea of sickness, discipline, and how ourselves view discipline. Do we like it or do we so-called hate it to the core? Okay, uh, so when we come to verse 6, uh, verse 6 to 9 itself, uh, it explores the cure and the circumstances of it. So, yeah, we see the cure happening. And we see the cure, it's a very interesting way of curing this man. Uh, this particular this particular man. So let's dive dive right into verse six first. Uh, we'll go through verse six today, and tomorrow I will go through seven, eight, nine. So when we come to verse six, 
we start by seeing uh, by a statement saying that Jesus saw him when Jesus saw him laying there. Now this is quite interesting. Jesus saw him. First of all, we know that Jesus did not visit any place of high value, a high value place. Jesus did not visit the uh, visit the palace. He did not visit the so-called the malls of that day. They don't, he did not visit the market. He did not go to this kind of high-value place where people gather. But he went to a place where people seek mercy. In fact, he went to a place called House of Mercy. I think this shows a lot. First of all, we see the humility of Christ. We see the condescension, compassion, love, and all this character that we associate with Christ more, very much here. He visited a place called Bethesda, the house of mercy. And you see the design of the pool itself. Jesus did not suddenly stumble upon this invalid man. He wasn't walking on the streets and suddenly, hey, there's an invalid man right there. Okay, I'm going to go help him. No, I think he, we can see that he purposefully went into this area. As mentioned before, there's the there's the columns, there's the pillars that was that had a covered walkway surrounding this pool itself. If you guys ever seen that place, it is very hard to just walk by and spot someone and say that hey, that guy is not healing. Jesus, it was not, uh, it was not by chance that Jesus had met this man, but he has purposefully made himself available to this place, and he has come came here to do the work, to do a work. He deliberately went into this place and this very much displayed the purpose of him coming to this world. We might zoom in, we might, uh, we might have Christ zoom in onto this man. But, you know, at the same time, we also note that there are a great multitude of people in Bethesda, all crippled, all lame paralyzed, blind. Why this man specifically? Why did Jesus focus his vision and lay his eyes on this man specifically? Well, there could be there could be a few reasons. Uh, maybe he was the most senior of them or maybe he has been there the longest. He has been this pool the longest. As mentioned before, you know, 38 years he has been named. He could have very well sat here for 38 full years. But no one is willing to help him. No one was willing to bring him down to the pool for that whole duration that he has been there. Even if it's not 38 years. Could you imagine he has been there for one year? No one takes notice of him. I think that is quite insane enough already. He is the most helpless man who no one was willing to bring him in. But we see Christ's own delight in working on this man specifically. And I think in some ways this might have echoed Romans chapter 9 verse 15. Note that John once again was written very late into the whole call. Uh, it's written very late in, in history. So John John was written more or less after Romans already. So it might have taken the idea from Romans. Not very explicitly, but the idea of it is there. 
Romans chapter 9, verse 15, it says here, He will have mercy on whom he has mercy. He will have compassion on whom he will have compassion. So in some ways, we see this here, that Jesus is willing to have compassion and have mercy on this man. That he's autonomous in that sense to work and to will on this man. Now, next we see Christ knew that he had already been there a long time. Oh, so there we have it. Christ has been there. Uh, sorry, the paralyzed, uh, the lame man has been there for a long time. Um, we're not sure how long, but definitely it's a long time. Um, for the NIV translation, it translates new as learned. Um, I think this is not to be mistaken as learned as in how he came across this man and he, after a few conversations he has with this man, he received this fact from him or from others around him. But he really perceived this information, this situation with by his own knowledge. He knew that he has already been there. So once again, it reflects Christ's uh, Christ knowledge about all things. This is not the first time that we see Christ having the knowledge of a specific person. When we go back to uh, verse 15, uh, John chapter 1, verse 48, we see him knowing Nathanael. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip caught you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. So we see Jesus' knowledge of the action that Nathanael might have been doing. Next, when we come to John chapter 4, verse 18, we see Jesus knowing about this Samaritan woman, about her five husbands. Uh, you know, for uh, Jesus said, For you have had five husbands, and the one that you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. So, for the for the for chapter one, Nathaniel, we see the actions of Nathaniel's not really a sin, not really bad or whatnot. In uh, in chapter four, well, depends on how you interpret verse 18, you can see it's either a sin or some of some of the people might see it as so-called suffering or struggles that this woman might have bring, uh, might have gone through. But the knowledge we see here, uh, we see in verse, uh, in chapter 5, is very, in a way, somewhat different um, knowledge. This knowledge of Christ knowing this man's suffering, outright physical suffering. And I think, for verse for chapter five itself, verse six itself, this knowledge is a very comforting knowledge of our own struggles and our own suffering in face of illness. I think very much so it's even more relatable for us today, uh, especially with the whole COVID thing going around now. Many of us of our times we forget God knows about COVID nineteen situation. As schools are going to as school is going to reopen as as some of us has already started going back to school and started going out already, there is still a chance of us very very high chance of us getting COVID nineteen. If we get it, do we blame God for it? Do we not see that God knows that we will get it long time ago? Do we not see that God knows that we have it 
on the day itself. Is that not then a comfort for us that the all-powerful being knows the situation that we are in? Is it not a comfort for us that God knows what is going on in our life? I think many of us, often of times, we overlook this fact that God knows. We always presume that God doesn't know. So in our prayer, we, see, we say as though God doesn't know. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that we don't pray in that way and that kind of prayer is bad. But many of times, because of such, because of the way we pray, the way we bring across our petitions to God, it's almost an assumption as though God doesn't know what is going on in my life. And that's a very sad thing because we don't receive any comfort from it. That because of the way that we pray, that we, the way that we bring across a petition, the way we bring across a request to God, that those God doesn't know what is going on in life. And with that, with that idea, with that kind of understanding of God, we ourselves suffer a lot. Because we get a lot of, we get depressed and we get anxious. Oh, is God going to work soon? Is God, does God know? That, do I need to so-called send another email to God to remind him to do something about this in my own lives? We get very anxious and we get very frustrated when things doesn't go our way in our own health. Because we're scared. We're scared. Simply because we're scared and we find there is no one to comfort us there. So it's something for us to reflect a bit about. Do we believe that God knows? Do we believe that God knows our situation? And for this case, in this case, do we believe that God knows our situation in our illness? I think last last time when I had dengue, oof, that was a terrible experience. But looking back as a Christian, if I were to suffer the same thing that I went through for the 10 days, why had suffered as much? Why have been so-called comforted in that sense? So I think that's something good for us to think a bit about. And so it comes, brings me to the last point that we see here today. Jesus said to him, do you want to be healed? Now this seems like a very, uh, how should I say? It seems like a very stupid statement. Why is Jesus asking this man that? Of course, I think there's a very good reason why Jesus said this. But as a reader, you know, as, as a typical reader, why in the world do you ask that kind of question? Of course he wants to be said. Seems like a rather stupid question in that sense. But I think Jesus, this is a very wise thing that Jesus did. And we have to understand why Jesus said this statement. Of course, in such a situation, um, we want to be healed. But, you know, I think it's stupid of us to think of this question being stupid. Because some people out there don't really want to be healed. Have you ever considered that, first of all? In some cases, people don't want to be healed. Well, this such illness might have been an excuse for your own idleness, for your own self to be lazy. Such illness, if you say that you don't get healed, then, oh, I don't have to do, I don't have to work. I can live off the government if the government is paying for me. I can just live off the government. I'm going to work. I can enjoy my life with such illness. So some people will have that kind of uh, mentality. I remember I saw this uh, British show last night. I don't, I don't remember what was it called. I think it's called Living Off Welfare or something. Like that. Anyway, I just came across uh, this, this show. So what happened was that there was this 
uh, there's this British couple that they were living under welfare. Um, basically, the I don't know. I, I think it's British. Uh, it's Britain. I don't know how the welfare system worked there, but basically, these two person doesn't. They don't have a job. They live in a very nice apartment home. Um, they have enough money to bring them through. Uh, their days are definitely not so called super comfortable. Not they can not as though they can get whatever they want, but you know they have a fair bit of income from basically doing nothing. And so the interviewers asked them, do you want to get a job? This, the answer that they gave was no. <laughs> I have, I'm enjoying my life right now without a job. Why should I need a job? Why do I need a job? And so this is a very similar thing that we see here. Why should I be here? Can just enjoy my life without carefree, you know, live off uh, government welfare and whatnot. But then again, of course, at that point of time, um, they might not have this kind of welfare system. They might not have treated the poor as as well as we have today. But in today's context, some people really don't want to be here. I think this is very much true. So the first point that brings me here uh, for this for this question that Jesus had for him, we first see Christ's pity and concern for this man. Okay, Christ's tenderness to find out the need of those who are afflicted and is willing to know their petition. God is willing to have to hear our cries and our pleas. I think this question asking for this man is helpful for this man to for him to cry out to Christ in the situation that he is in. I think even for us today when we are in a terrible situation, when someone comes and asks this question, we don't see it as a stupid question. We see it as a question that this that this other party is concerned with me. This other party is here to help me with my things. And sometimes crying out the the our so-called deepest distress is helpful for us. So that is one perspective that we see this question to be, is to help this man. It is really to help this man when this question is asked. Second thing, to teach him to value mercy. This question was not so much to inquire of this man, but to excite him, to kindle in him a desire to be healed. As as, as in a spiritual case, in a spiritual sense, as mentioned before, one might not be willing to be cured of their illness. In a, in a spiritual sense, one might not be willing to be cured of their sins. Unwilling to part with them, unwilling to part with sins. And the point is made, if people were willing to be made whole, the work is already half done. For Christ is willing to forgive. We have a very similar incident in Matthew chapter eight, verse three, um, where there's a lame, uh, where there's a, there's a paralyzed, sorry, a lame, lame person. Uh, as Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, "I will be clean, I will be clean," and immediately his leprosy was gone. So we see that here. Um, we see that here in uh, in sorry, it's the leprosy guy. In verse two, he says that he's he wants to be made clean. The work itself is really half done. His own willingness to come to Christ and cry out to him. Um, I think for us, if we have if we have been a Christian a long time and interacted with non Christians, of all times people are not willing to come to Christ. Of all times people are not willing to give up their own sin. You know, we go out there and we tell them, hey. 
you are in this situation, you're in a terrible situation, you're going to a terrible place, will you be willing to be safe? Will you be willing to come to Christ to know Him? Many of times, the, they will say, no, they will rather just enjoy this life. Even if there's a hell, I will just rather enjoy this life and suffer later. They don't really care about the consequences. They just want to enjoy it themselves. I remember I brought this analogy up before. I'll be over here have a but I brought this analogy before, if I'm not wrong. Um, that some people evangelize in such a case that they believe um, evangelism to be a person in the boat. You know, uh, the non-Christian is like the person drowning in the water, in the sea. And the man in the boat wants to throw a life, life, uh, life raft to the person, uh, the, the life boy to the person. That's how people describe evangelism. And some of them might be willing to take it up. Some people might not be willing to take it up. Well, I don't believe that's the case very much. Even for this case right here. Yes, we, we see that we see that so-called that gift of salvation, the willingness for, for this man to take it up, to take up his salvation or to be healed in this case. But I believe that the, man, the, the desire of this man has already started even beforehand. When we go back to verse 6, Jesus laid, laid eyes on this man. And I think when Jesus laid eyes on this man, he already knew that this man would come to him. This, he already knew that this man would have a desire to be healed. And so at the point, even before the point of Jesus, of this whole incident, Jesus laying his eyes on him, and even before that, he has already been healed. It's just a matter of when. Even for us to think about it, are we afraid of not being healed? That's not the point. The point is when. Okay, so uh, this contributes to the last point that I want to I want to do. I want to talk a bit about. Sorry, I will short time by five minutes. But the last point I will really bring about is that this incident might have happened to draw attention of those around Christ to pave a way for Christ. For this miracle to be done by Christ. This might have very well been to draw attention of not just this specific man who is lying there, but it might be used to draw the attention of those around him. There are many laymen, there are many cripples, there are many people around him. Some have been healed, some have not been healed. Christ draws their attention to focus in on what is going to be done right here and right now. This miracle that will be done here. So do you want to be healed might not be a statement to this man specifically only. But do you want to be healed might very well be uh, a call for everyone around him. So, uh, so I think it's something for us to think about that a bit more also. So I'll end off there uh, for today. I think I would really hope that we can go back and think through all these things. And break down uh, verse 6 and look at it again from a different perspective also. And see how, um, even, even for today, Christ calls us and asks this question, do we ourselves want to be healed? So I'll end us off here uh, today. Uh, can I have Tsing, can you close us in prayer?
Amen.